telling you. Am I on? Now I am. Oh my gosh. Microphones, technology. You think, you know, I'm not like Francis. I'm not one of the old ones that doesn't know how to use technology. Don't tell him I said that. Or you can tell him I said that. I would tell him I said that. Hey, it's really good to see. If you have your Bibles, grab them. You know where we're headed. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're headed. Uh, And so you can go ahead and turn there this morning. Matthew 5. We, last week, we were able to kind of finish up working through and walking through uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, and This week, we get to continue moving on through the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the Beatitudes uh, really act, because here's what happens, and I know we've gone through this already, but here's what happens with this, is that the Sermon on the Mount is one full, is one full setting sermon, right? Jesus sits on the mountain with all these folks, and it is just one One teaching time, one sermon time that Jesus gives his folks, right? The people that are sitting on the mountainside here, right? And so in a lot of ways, the Beatitudes act as a type of sermon introduction here. They act as a a way to look at, for Jesus to look at all the people that he's teaching right here in this moment and say, uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to share something with you that's so countercultural that it is going to grab your attention so much that you're going to listen to every single word that I have to say next. And that's really what he does throughout the context of the Beatitudes, if you remember them and you, and you look back on them. That's really what Jesus does, is he says things that are so countercultural. He says things that are so different from the way that people thought that they grabbed a hold of their attention and they say, you know what, like, I don't, I don't know that I actually agree with that, but I'm intrigued. Like, you've got my attention now. You've got my attention. You've, you've captured my heart. You've, you've got my attention. I want to see what you actually have to say next. And so that's, in a lot of ways, that's what the Beatitudes act like uh, when, when, when Jesus is teaching here. He gives us, he's describing, Jesus has been describing what his followers look like in the Beatitudes, and now what he does, he goes about and he starts placing some application on top of what he's been describing, right? He gives, he doesn't just give us a diagnosis, but he gives us some prescription. Here's what they actually look like, not just descriptors, but application, right? Uh, It tells us what the Christian looks like, but also how to actually live like one. Here's what the Christian looks like, gentle, merciful, poor in spirit, mourners, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now here's what they actually act like. Here's what they look like. Here's what they act like. And so now we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. What's interesting about this text here, and really throughout all the all of these analogies, all of these metaphors that Jesus uses throughout Scripture, what's interesting is some of the metaphors that Jesus chooses to use for his followers. You ever thought about this? The metaphors that Jesus uses, um, they make much of himself, okay? But then he looks at us and he calls us, he calls his church things like rocks, okay? He calls his church, here's some of the metaphors that he uses for us, okay? He calls us rocks, he calls us clay, he calls us pots, he calls us sheep, and he calls us a bride, these are the metaphors that Jesus uses for his church, right? Uh, and then he goes on. He just go, goes on with these, with these metaphors that he uses here. And in this text, he calls us two, two different things here. He calls, us, he calls us salt and he calls us light. So let's read this together this morning. Matthew chapter 5, 
the first words that Jesus shares and says after the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to just look at it and read it along with me. Uh, If not, it's on the screen behind me. It says this, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so so they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. Let's pray. We'll walk through this a little bit. Father, we recognize this morning on the very front end of this text, and we say really clearly on the very front end of this text that we need your help. God, I need your help uh, relaying the truths that you've kind of laid on my heart this week to your people. Uh, God, we need help to, to believe these truths. God, we need help as your followers or as your seekers to to believe that we are salt and believe we are light and believe that we can do the things that you say that we can do and need to be the things you say we need to be, Father. We need help. So God, would your spirit empower us and help us to believe the things that you tell us in this text? God, would your spirit convict us of things that we don't believe to be true? God, would your spirit empower us to go about and actually live these truths, we pray. God, be upon my heart, be upon my mind, be upon my tongue this morning, I pray. I need you. God, I need you. God, give me clarity of thought and wisdom today, we pray. Amen. Two sections, really in this scripture, two things that Jesus kind of shares and outlines for us here, and they're really pretty simple to outline. Anybody could, uh, and this is one of those texts that anybody could outline really pretty simply. Two sections, uh, two places that Jesus goes here, and so really just two sermon points even for this morning as well. The first section, the first thing that Jesus kind of outlines here is he says that we are, that we are salt, followers of Christ, his followers. There are two things. They are salt, he says, and they are light. So there's two things that we really kind of want to get across here, two sermon points. The first one is this, don't be useless. Now that's really encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus says the very first thing of this, very first side of this side of this idea of being salt is this, don't be useless. The second side, light, is don't be invisible. Don't be useless, salt. Don't be invisible, light. So let's talk about this first one, salt. Don't be useless. You know, salt has an incredible amount of uses. Maybe more in the first century world when Jesus is talking here, or at least they used it more, utilized it more in its many uses in the first century when Jesus is talking here, then what we do now, salt has so many uses. You could go back through the Old Testament law even and see the different salt sacrifices and ways that salt was used to purify and even uh, rectify relationships, right? Salt was used in so many different capacities, not just, uh, not just in, in preservation, Okay? but also in sacrifices as well. So salt was used in many different things. One preacher or one author said that preachers and students alike have vexed themselves in discerning what manner of followers Jesus, in what manner Jesus followers are to be salty because there's so many different applications, so many different ways that you can take this, 
right? I, I, honestly, folks, I believe that all of these descriptions, all these different ways, maybe even that you studied the idea of salt here, I, I think all of those are proper applications or proper uses of the descriptor of salt in this context, whether it's, again, a preservative or if it's uh, the, the idea of, of rectifying relationships. All of these things are probably rightly used here, but I Honestly, I believe there's one application maybe that Meeks speaks most deeply, or maybe it speaks most deeply to me, and I hope maybe it speaks most deeply to you this morning. And when we think about all these different applications, there's one I think that speaks most deeply, and that is this, that we are to not be useless. That we're to not be useless. My New Testament professor translated this text. I had a New Testament professor in, at Midwestern when I got my, my master's degree up there, and, and uh, his name was Dr. Alan Tomlinson. I don't, you probably remember Dr. Tomlinson. Dr. Tomlinson was brilliant, brilliant. Here's what he would do. Uh, he would take his New Testament Greek Bible, written in Greek, and he would tra- as he was teaching, he would translate it in his mind and tell us what it literally said, right? Just a brilliant man, okay? No, not, normal people can't do this kind of stuff, okay? So this is what he would do, and this is how he translated this text. He said this, this, no, the next one, this one, this, this is what he said. He said, in ver, about verse 13, he said, you are the witness for the earth. You see that modification that he made here? This is the way that he translated this idea of salt, okay? The, the way that he translated this idea of salt is, is witness. He said, you are the witness for the earth. But if your witness has become useless, ouch. But if your witness has become useless, how will it become useful again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So he translated this word, this word salt, this idea of becoming salt, of being salt for the earth, translate this idea as, as, as witness, right? Which takes the depth of this idea of not being useless to a whole new level as well, don't be useless, he says, concerning your witness. There's two ways that salt becomes useless, okay? There's two ways salt becomes useless. One is in its dilution. The other is in its excessiveness, okay? Let's just use the, uh, the analogy of food here. Let's just use food as, a, as an example, okay? I'm no cook, okay? I did not go to culinary school, okay? Neither did you. <laughs> but we don't have to go to culinary school or be that guy on television to know whether or not something has too little or too much salt, don't we? Right? Our taste buds, the Lord has developed our taste buds to, to the point where we know when something is lacking something. We know when a food is lacking something, but we also know at the exact same time whether a food is excessive in something. Right? This is what happens. Okay? Uh, when we use food, we, we know that something has too little or too much salt in it. See, if salt, is, if salt is diluted in the recipe, if salt is diluted in the recipe, then the final product turns out bland and insipid. Right? But if salt is excessive in the same exact recipe, the final product is oftentimes repulsive. Like you just can't eat it. Right? My favorite dessert, so if you want to make me these, this is permission, okay? My favorite dessert is chocolate chip cookies, okay? Permission granted, okay? I love them. 
And I remember the day that I found out that my mom put salt in chocolate chip cookies. I said, mom, what are you doing? You are ruining these things, right? And I remember telling my mom, so she was teaching me, right, as, 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 as good moms do, she's teaching me here a, a little lesson. So she goes, okay, let me, let me make you a batch without salt. You know, and they, they were disgusting. <laughs> I still ate them, okay, but they were gross. I said, okay, mom, like, I get it. Like, let's put salt in then. And I was excessive. Ate the same cookies, and they were disgusting, right? See, salt in its dilution and salt in its excessiveness is just useless. It either becomes bland and insipid or excessive and repulsive. This is what happens with salt, right? And Jesus says the same thing here. Don't let your, don't let your witness become useless. Don't let your witness become diluted and bland. But at the same time, he says, but don't let your witness become excessive and repulsive. You see, there's this necessary, perfect, beautiful balance that must exist here where we stand for truth and we don't stand for lies. And there's this beautiful balance. If you go backwards just a few verses to the Beatitudes, you'll see, again, what that beautiful balance looks like and is here, right? There's this balance that exists, right? There's no use. Jesus says this. This is Jesus' words, not, not Matthias here, right? This is, there's no use for the bland or the repulsive Christian. This is what Jesus says. There's no use for the bland or the repulsive Christian because if you're the bland Christian or if you're the repulsive Christian, then you're not pointing a finger to the glory of the Father. You're not pointing to Jesus. You are not any longer pointing to Christ. There's a, 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 a guy named Scott McKnight, and he, he th- talks about this idea. He's a, he's a pastor and an author. He talks about this idea that the world doesn't need help living in its tensions, right? We don't need to help the world live in its tensions, right? We need to act as preservatives. This is what he says. This is Scott McKnight. We're going to get this, Craig. Next one. That one. <laughs> We're going to get this. <laughs> this is what Scott McKnight says. He says, the world left to its own devices will not but fester and spoil. Left to it. You know this to be true, don't you? Because you watch the world. You live in the world. And you know this to be true, that the world left to its own devices will do nothing but fester and spoil. And the last thing that Jesus followers need to be is deluded or excessive. We need to look at the world that will not but fester and spoil and to act as a type of preservative towards the world so that the world sees our witness and gives glory to the Father who is in heaven. This is what we are called to do. This is what we are called to be like. A Christ-like life brings glory to God in a world that doesn't but fester and spoil. We bring glory to God in the midst. Uh, Here's how we do it. We do this by attesting to the to the goodness and mercy of a God who never fails. This is how we do it. By attesting to the goodness and mercy of a God who never fails, to see it, to believe it, and then to point to it. Folks, this is not me. This is not my thing. But look at the Lord, he says. I'm just gonna be, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be deluded, nor am I gonna be excessive. I'm just gonna constantly point to the Lord, right? My witness will constantly point to the Lord, 
not in its dilution or its excessiveness, but right here, just pointing to the Lord. Here's the second one he says. He says, don't be useless, salt. But he also says, don't, uh, he also says, don't be invisible. We must be light. Look back at verses 14 to 16. Let's remind ourselves real quick of this because it's been just a second since we've read it. 14 to 16, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket because that would just be silly. But put it on a stand, he says. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And here's what he says, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I don't know if you've ever been in the dark. Now, I'm not talking about like this morning we woke up and it was a little darker than we're used to the last few days, right? No, I'm talking about like the dark, where you put your hand in front of your face and you can't see it. Where you put your hand in front of your face and it almost, it's like you can't even feel that you have a hand there, right? I don't know, if, have you ever been in that kind of dark? I, when I was a senior in high school, I got to go with my uh, ecology teacher uh, to Rockbridge State Park over in Columbia. Anybody been there? Rockbridge State Park has some beautiful caves. And we got to go spelunking. Uh, he took about 15 of us spelunking. He was one of the, I don't know, he, he was licensed, I guess, to do it. Uh, I don't think he was just a random guy that took us into these caves. But we went like a mile in and a mile down in these caves, right? No light whatsoever, okay? We had these headlamps on with these helmets and everything, right? And, and uh, you know, it's like 60 degrees all the time in these caves. And we had to get in canoes. Here's what's crazy. We had to get in canoes and canoe into the cave system, right? We had to like lay down in the canoe so we could get through the, the or get underneath the, the roof of it and everything. It was beautiful, right? Some of you are freaking out right now thinking like, there's no way that I could do that. You're having a little anxiety attack right now. But it was phenomenal. It was fantastic to get in there and then to like see all the different formations, to see the bats, lost a lot of you there as well to see the bats, to see the little fish even that existed inside these caves. So we're like a mile down and a mile deep right now, right? And Mr. Bueller looks at us and he says, so all we have is these lamps that are sitting on our foreheads, right? So we're sitting there and he goes, okay, now I want everybody to take a deep breath. We had no idea what was coming. Like we were thinking we were gonna have to like jump into a pond or something, right? To go to the next place. Take a deep breath. He took a deep breath. Now turn your light off. It's like, okay, here we go. Like, we're going to see something cool. Like, we're going to see something glow, or we're going to see something iridescent. Everybody turns their lights off, and it is pitch black. And I mean, like, one of those darknesses that almost felt oppressive, right? Like, you could feel, you could feel the weight of the darkness around you, right? And it's dead silent in here, except for the little trickle of this stream. Dead silent, Okay? And all of a sudden, across the, across the way a little bit, Mr. Bueller just takes a little pink, I remember it to this day, a little pink Bic lighter, okay? And he's across through maybe 15 feet away, and he lights this lighter. And of course, what happens? Everybody's eyes go directly that way, right? Everybody's eyes go directly that way. And here's what happens, okay? In moments like this, when there is this like oppressive darkness, two things exist in the heart of people. Two things happen here. 
okay? One, you either see this light in the midst of this like weighty, oppressive darkness. You either see this light and there's like this hope that grows in you. Okay, it's gonna be okay. There's light, right? And it's just this little like one inch light, right? Okay, it's gonna be okay. I can, I can see something, right? So one of two things happens. One, either, either this hope grows in you or the exact opposite takes place and you see this light and you begin to, you begin to get scared. Fear overtakes you. Look at what's around me. I can't see anything else. I can't feel anything else. I just, can I turn my light on right now? So two things take place here when light exists in the midst of darkness. One, hope. Two, fear. Jesus says as much. This is the nature of light. Jesus says as much. Turn to John chapter 1. Flip over to John. You can just flip there for the rest of the time here. We're going to be in John through the rest of our time here this morning. This is what happens. Some, some see light and hope, but some see light and hate. This is what happens. This is the nature of light here. John chapter 1. Hopefully you've gotten there. It's just a few books, a few pages to your right, maybe a, more than a few, but turn to the right and you'll find John. John chapter 1, look at verse 6. This is what happens. This is the nature of light here. Look at verse 6. Chapter 1 of John says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist, that is, as most of us know, right? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and the darkness. Wait, I just jumped forward a little bit. Sorry. I'm just going to start over. How's that? Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It doesn't but fester and spoil. Verse 11, he came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. Now turn just a few pages over to, the, to, to, to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 19. John chapter 3, verse 19 says, And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They saw the light... And when they saw the light, they didn't hope, but they hated. They didn't hope, but they feared. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works would be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Do you see this? This is, this is the nature of light that exists in the world. This is the nature of light here, that people see that we, the world that festers and spoils, sees the light, and has one of two responses, hope or hate. Now, let's also recognize here what Jesus is actually talking about, okay? We must also understand what Jesus means and who Jesus says he is here, okay? Because in, back in Matthew, he says what? He says that who is the light of the world? He says that you, right? Jesus looks at us, at his followers, and he says, you are the light of the world. What's interesting about that is that in John chapter 8, turn there, 
he says something completely different. A few pages over yet again, John chapter 8. We're going to see this progression that Jesus makes here. These verses aren't on the screen. So if you want to see it, you got to turn there. It says this. John chapter 8, verse 12. Look at the progression that Jesus makes here. John 8, 12. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, ready? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. So here, Jesus looks at all of the people that are listening, and he doesn't say, you're the light. He says, I am the light. Now flip over again to John chapter 9, maybe just a page over. John chapter 9, verse 5, he says, I am the light of the world. John 9, 5, he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Do you see the progression that Jesus is making here? I am the light. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light. Now flip over to John chapter 12, verse 36, and we continue to see the progression that Jesus makes here. And when he says in John 12, 36, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. I am the light. While I'm in the world, I'm the light. While I'm here, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, now you are the light. Right? Now you, as you believe in the light, as you believe in the light, as you live into the light, you are the light of the world. Christian, here's the thing that we must understand. That you are not light detached from the light. Okay? I cannot be a light for Jesus if I am detached from Jesus. Do you know how the moon works? I learned this with my son. I learned this again with my son this last year. He had uh, an astronomy section in science. And so I got to, I had the blessing to relearn how the moon works, okay? I love it with our kids, how when they're going through school, we're going through school too, okay? I had the blessing to relearn how the moon works. Do you know how the moon works? The moon, did you know, and you probably know this, okay? Did you know that the moon does not produce any light in and of itself, period, okay? There is no light that the moon produces in and of itself. It cannot exist. Like, light does not exist from the moon. It just doesn't. The only light that we see of the moon is a reflection of the light. This is it. This is how the moon works. When we see the moon in the night sky, we don't see the light of the moon. Listen, we see the light of the sun reflected off the moon. Christian, you are not the sun, but you're the moon, which is a simple reflection of the light. The light cannot exist without the light. The moon, in many ways, in our minds, would not exist without the ability to see it from the sun. This is how it, it works. It can't exist detached. The moon reflects light that already and still exists even if we can't see it. This is all the moon does. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He's a pastor. He was a pastor who passed away several years back, but he says this. Hey, we got it that time. 
He says this, he says, the Christian is not someone who lives in isolation, okay? He's not someone who lives in isolation. He is in the world, though he is not of it. And he bears a relationship to the world that the, uh, the Christian is told that he must be otherworldly in his mind and outlook, but that never means that he retires out of the world. You see, there's this immediate and constant engagement that the Christian must have as salt and light. There's this immediate and constant engagement that we have if we don't wanna be useless or invisible. We must engage. So we're gonna put this in our context, even this here. Let's put this in our context. How do we, let's ask ourselves maybe, how do we actively hide Christ? Ever thought about this? How do we go about actively hiding Christ? There's two things I think here. One, I think we hide Christ when we don't speak out against sin. When we don't speak out against sin, we actively hide the glory of God. And listen, I'm not even talking about the big sins, okay? I'm talking about the small sins that actually Jesus makes much of in the word. Things like gossip. When we actively engage in or listen to gossip, we're hiding the glory of Christ. When, 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 we, when we listen to it, when we make others look bad, we're hiding the glory of Christ, right? We hide Christ when we don't live an upright life. This is another way we hide Christ, when we don't act in self-control. We hide the glory of Christ. When we lean into conflict rather than reconciliation, we hide the glory of Christ. When you're when they're always the problem, and never you, we hide the glory of Christ. Honestly, it just points back again to the Beatitudes. When we actively live outside of the Beatitudes rather than inside the Beatitudes, we hide the glory of Christ. We are useless and we are invisible. Christian, here's how we end. Christian, we, you, are to be active in salt and light to simply glorify the Father. This is what Jesus says. He makes it really clear in the last verse, in verse 16 here. So that they may see the good works of your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Christian, you are to be salt and light to glorify the Father, to be useful and visible to bringing praise to the Father. This is our desire. This is our command to be useful and visible, salt and light, so that others may see and believe and you may be bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the command of Christ. Don't be invisible and don't be useless. So here's a question. Do other people give glory to your Father because of your witness? Because of who you are, because of your witness, do others give glory to the Father? Maybe today you see this and believe this for the first time. Maybe today you believe this again. Maybe today you believe it more. Whatever state you're in this morning, however the Lord is speaking to you even this morning, I pray that in these next few moments as we pray and as we sing, that you would just submit yourself to the Father, repent, confess, ask him for help, and lean back into the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we recognize so clearly your faithfulness. God, we look again, we look and we're reminded again just of this year. 
and we remind ourselves and we are reminded of the ways that you have provided and pulled through and sustained. God, we also recognize this morning that there are moments, many moments even, God, that we find ourselves, that I find myself useless and invisible. God, that I am not actively engaging the world like I need to, and I am not reflecting your light like I need to. And Father, I pray that you would help me to not become useless or invisible today. God, help us as your church, as your people, to not become useless or invisible today. God, help us to believe in your son, Jesus, to take hope in the light that he gives and offers today, we pray. Father, we love you. It's in your name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.